Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking about Dr. Bruce Roser from Stable Pharma. How are you doing, Dr. Bruce? Dr. Roser? I'm fine, thanks very much. Great. Now, before we start, tell me a bit about your background, so we know people know actually what you've done in the past and who you are. Um, well, how far back do you want to go? I'm an Australian by birth, and um, I studied medicine um, and practiced for a few years, and then I um, went into medical research, and I've been doing that all my life, really, since then, um, which is a good long time now. Um, initially, I was working on um, transplantation uh, immunology, yeah. and then uh, accidentally in the lab, I came across an extraordinary phenomenon that uh, I recognised as being important, so I stopped the work I was doing, and ever since then, for the last 25 years, I've been working on this new phenomenon, which... Uh, is based on uh, the fact that there are certain plants and animals that survive in the desert during a drought by allowing themselves to dry out completely. And and when the rains come, they uh, simply open and come back to life. Uh, That seemed to me to be pretty remarkable um, because what they'd done was preserved all, all of the very fragile molecules in their bodies, which is what the um, pharmaceutical industry has been trying to do for a hundred years. Yeah. And these simple organisms seem to have sorted it out. So I found that they contained a lot of a strange sugar called trehalose, did a few la- uh, experiments in the lab with this sugar and discovered I could stabilise pretty well anything, yeah. even the most um, fragile molecules. And since then, we've been trying to explore how far we can take this technology, and we're now in the process of um, starting to develop our first products. It sounds a bit like when I was in Fleming found uh, penicillin by mistake, and then decided to spend all his time working with that. Look what that's done for us. Well, it was so extraordinary. I mean, with my background in science and medicine, I knew that uh, there were a large number of things that uh, we had to keep in the fridge. And there were a large number of even more fragile things that we had to keep in the deep freeze. And this was a mechanism. We didn't have to do any of that. Um, These simple plants, which, by the way, are called resurrection plants for a very good reason, they die and then come back to life. They solved this problem. So um, I guess what they were doing was pretty impressive, and it turned out to be very simple. Uh, It's just due to this very unusual sugar, which is very stable chemical. And when you dry it in the right way, instead of crystallizing, it turns into what we call a glass. Yeah. best way to think of what we do is that we take, molecules like vaccines, put them in this sugar, dry it in a special way, 
the sugar becomes syrupy, and then as we take out more water, it solidifies. And it's a bit like an insect trapped in amber. Yeah. You've seen this. So that's, the, that's what happens to these molecules. They're trapped in uh, a glass, and their life is suspended. They, they can't change because everything is trapped. Yeah. So no molecules can move, and if no molecules can move, there's no chemistry. And if there's no chemistry, there's no deterioration. So no, in a way, it's a very simple, remarkable process. So in a way, it's like a way hibernation of some sort. Yeah, it's it's uh, suspended animation, and because it's in a sugar, all you have to do is add water, and the sugar dissolves. Yeah, the way it does in your coffee, and um, these things come back to life immediately. So. After all those years working on this, I, um, I knew enough about it to realize we could do some very simple things that would nevertheless be very powerful. Yeah. And um, that's what we're doing now. We're using a simple process to stabilize all vaccines. That sounds interesting. And I think right now in the, in the world living with the pandemic, it's going to be more useful to help find new cures for what's happening at the moment. Well, it, it, what it will enable us to do, if we come up with a good vaccine or a good chemical, we'll be able to stabilize it so it can be stored, shipped, and stockpiled, and it will be ready for any future use because instead of having to have the fridge uh, in every place it's going to be used, you just have a cardboard box. Yeah, and I also like if somebody, if you have someone like who has cancer and they've got to have treatments, their the medicine has got a use by date, but this has no use by date, which means it can be stored for months, eons. And at high temperatures. Yeah. Um, 40 or 50 degrees centigrade for years. Yeah, so exactly. Like, so if you're like working somewhere like Africa or uh, Middle East where there's high temperatures, it doesn't matter where it's stored, it's going to be safe. 20 million children die of vaccine-preventable diseases in the developing world every year. 20 million. Yeah. Um, and mostly that's because their vaccination programs can't survive because refrigerators depend on infrastructure. And in many countries, the electricity is intermittent, uh, if, if there is any electricity. Whereas with this technology... You can simply put the vaccine in a syringe, put it in a box, and carry it anywhere. So we can send vaccines now to the most remote and deprived parts of the world. Um, there's no reason why they can't have access to the same medicines as we do in the West. And in the long term, it'll make medicine cheaper as well. Well, it'll make them cheaper because at the moment... <laughs> Half, half of all vaccines that are manufactured deteriorate so they can't be used. Yeah. With this technology, they all survive. <coughs> and that means that uh, you save half of the cost of present vaccines. Not only that, you don't need to pay for refrigeration. And it costs, um, at the moment, more than $400 million US dollars a year just for refrigerators. Yeah. And so 
that's a lot of money to buy more vaccines with. Yeah, and also, I guess, because you can produce a lot more with economies of scale, the cost comes down in production as well, because you're selling more. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and losing fewer. Yeah. So, getting on to COVID-19, how can we end this pandemic without ensuring medicines and vaccines are available to all? Well, we can't, and the reason is mostly that uh, there are the vaccine, uh, the virus, is attacking people in different parts of the world at different times. So although we're coming out of our attack, probably, um, people in uh, Africa and um, uh, South America are just going into their most serious episode. Yeah. So when we come out, there'll be lots of people in the world who are still suffering from the disease uh, and they will be a source of new infection. Yeah. And because COVID only only uh, attacks a small proportion of the population, yeah. like 3 or 4%, 97% of us are going to be vulnerable. So in order to get rid of this, you're going to need what's been needed to get rid of any serious illness, which is a good, a good medicine or a good vaccine. Yeah, and I guess the technology that you develop in the moment and that had developed can be used so the vaccine can be stored long term and it hasn't got a shelf, a shelf life. No, that's right. And stockpiles will be important because, as many people are now saying, um, COVID-19 disease is not going away. This vaccine is not going to disappear. This virus is not going to disappear. So we need to be prepared for second, third waves of uh, infection. And I guess it's like basically every year when you get a flu vaccine, if you get, a, if every year you know it's going to morph or something else and you get a vaccine to prepare for this and you have it in, uh, stored in advance with your technology, it means that we don't, we, we don't we prepare for this. And the, the, good, the one good thing about uh, this particular coronavirus is that it doesn't seem to change the way flu virus does. Yes. The flu virus, you need to make a new vaccine pretty well every year. But this virus doesn't seem to change like that. So stockpiling is probably going to be a good way of approaching it. Yeah, and I guess it's going to be the, the new norm that that uh, every year we're going to say, have we stockpiled enough for the coronavirus? Because at the moment, we're not sure if there's going to be a proper full cure yet. So what we can do is try and get medicines that can help minimise the risks that it causes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the best approach for this current epidemic uh, is going to be a medicine because we won't have a, an effective vaccine distributed worldwide at least for another year. Yeah. Um, we need billions of doses uh, worldwide. Um, and even if one of the current vaccines that are being in early stages of testing turns out to be good, it's going to take a very long time to get to that stage of having billions of doses distributed worldwide. So the best hope at the moment is that one of the uh, drugs that are being currently worked on turns out to be effective. Yeah. 
And what can we lessons can we learn from the experience we've dealt with, with previous pandemics and outbreaks? With previous outbreaks? Yeah, and pandemic, what lessons can we learn from that? Or have we learned? Well, um, the, the one thing that we've learned is that this is not like influenza. Yeah. <laughs> the big problem that happened in the United Kingdom was that everybody presumed it was like influenza in the beginning and their strategies were devised around that. But this is not like that. This is a very, a very strange virus. It, uh, it has so many very unusual properties, like um, killing more uh, BAME um, individuals, like being totally ineffective against children or almost, and being very lethal in the elderly, and the older you are, the more lethal it is, um, and in being so infectious, and yet causing so little disease in the people it infects. More than 40% of people who are infected don't even know they've got the virus. So that's odd. Uh, it behaves oddly. And it would be a brave man that would predict exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, because I've got friends who've had the coronavirus. And at the time, their symptoms didn't know what it was. And now looking back, it was corona. But they didn't get it that bad. So No, no. Um, most people don't get it that bad. I mean, it kills actually a small proportion of people who are infected. Um, and yet it's extremely infectious. So it's so easily spread in the community, which is why lockdown is so crucial. Most people who've got the virus don't know they've got the virus, but they spread it. Yeah. The only way to deal with that is lockdown when it's, when it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah. And the only way to deal with it when it stops spreading like wildfire is for everybody to wear a mask. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about the flu. Because the flu is a coronavirus, everyone assumes this coronavirus is like the flu because of that, when it's not. No, it's not like the flu at all. It, um, it, or virtually everybody that gets the flu gets sick. Yeah. Uh, and you catch the flu from people who are sick. In this case, you've got a mystery. You don't know where you've got the virus from because so many people are spreading it without being sick. So in that, in that way, it's, it's, it's not like the flu. The other reason, of course, is that with the flu, we've got effective vaccines. So yeah. the flu is a lot more susceptible to treatment than this one. And when you get people saying every year, some people die from the flu, Therefore, uh, if they're dying from that, what's the difference between the coronavirus or COVID-19? Um, yeah. What's different is that the number of people who die is, is very much higher. Yeah. Um, the mortality from this virus in England is going to be somewhere around 50,000, 60,000 people by the time it's all over. Uh, flu is about five. Yeah. So it's ten times more lethal in the in the in the population than flu. It's a very much more serious illness. Yeah, I'm thinking if you didn't have a flu virus, how many uh, a flu virus vaccination, how many more deaths would would you would you get in that? It would be like equivalent to, to COVID nineteen easily. Um, well, I, I think if they've got a decent vaccine, um, it will spectacularly reduce the mortality rate. I mean. Um, 
from 60,000 maybe to a few thousand. Um, and they will mostly be the very old people uh, who didn't get the, the vaccine in time or people who just weren't vaccinated. Yeah. You know, there's a, a worldwide movement of anti-vaxxers who are lying to people about the dangers of vaccination that they've been listened to. Now, if enough of those people get around and enough people listen to them, that could change the whole picture because uh, vaccination, when it's successful, is going to be absolutely vital to control this virus. Well, in, in Ireland, we have a large, people, large uh, growth of people who are anti-vaxxers. And I think that in the long term, we're going to have a scenario where people are going to believe this, uh, these anti-vaxxers, and in the, in the long term, it's going to damage their children's health and lifestyles. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's already happening. I mean, I know it's very remote, but uh, in, um, I think it's Samoa, um, the anti-vaxxers have convinced everybody. And there have been um, hundreds of children now have died there from measles. Yeah. So if the population, if a large percentage of the population stops being vaccinated, measles becomes a lethal disease again. Yeah. And measles affects mostly the young, unlike coronavirus. Yeah. I'm thinking back years ago, hundreds of years ago, when they, when they first developed this, the smallpox vaccination, if any vaccines existed then, smallpox wouldn't be eradicated. No, no. Um, and poliomyelitis is very nearly eradicated. Yeah. There's one country in the world that has a few cases each year. So vaccination has rid the world of two of the most dreadful diseases. Um, and there is a campaign in the WHO now, there was, to try to eliminate the world of um, measles. But that's been knocked on the head by all this lunatic um, anti-vaccination campaign. I'm thinking right now something like also like polio. For example, polio is now nearly gone because of vaccinations. Because of what, yeah. what, what Dr. Salk did. And if, that were, if, if, if people actually believed that it was bad, we see how, 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 how people in the world with it. And it's not nice to have that. No, it's, it's, um, it's a frightful disease. Um, you know, in the same way as um, coronavirus, people with polio usually die of suffocation. Yeah. Which is a very nasty way to die. Yeah, it sounds a bit like with coronavirus that it affects your lungs and the spirit system. So when you get in there, chances of you surviving that is harder if you're somebody with a, with a compromised immune system, somebody who's older. Someone very, very young, like a baby. Well, the thing about um, polio is that you can't breathe because your muscles yeah. are paralysed. And with coronavirus, you can't breathe because your lungs are full of liquid because the virus has attacked the lungs themselves and they're very inflamed and um, there's not enough lung tissue left yeah. for you to breathe effectively with. So... Um, they're different mechanisms, but the mechanism of death is similar. You suffocate. And I guess if you try and use something like an iron lung to help you breathe, 
Is there any summon those in the world that we can use as well? Well, that's what the um, mechanical ventilators have taken the place of the iron lung. Uh, so instead of having a big box around your chest that sucks your chest out yeah. and pulls the breath in that way, the uh, pipe in your trachea puffs your lungs up. But it, it, it does the same thing as an iron lung. Yeah, I, I know, I guess it does. But the thing is right now is I'm now seeing a lot more people that are developing ones on 3D printers that can be easily produced around the world, which is great to see. And hopefully... Yeah. If we can get that, so you have a 3D printer in a place like middle of nowhere that can, like, like with your medicines, can be stockpiled and people are there, and when you need it, we can, we can print them off as when they're required. Yeah, that would help a lot. But um, half of the people, half of every person who ends up uh, on a ventilator dies. So the ventilator is not the solution to this problem. <clears throat> it's um, an essential part of treatment, and without them, everybody who got that sick would die. Yeah. But it's worth knowing that uh, the ventilator is not a uh, magic bullet. Yeah. Half of the people who are ventilated end up dying. Of course, they're very, very sick, but uh, it's, a, it's a statistic that's worth remembering um, in terms of what are the most important policies to adopt and uh, ventilators are fairly low on that list. But again, it's also it's part of your Swiss Army Knife toolkit that when you have it there, it increases your chance of survival. Yes, it does. It doubles your chances of yeah. survival. So I'm guessing yeah. anything that we can do to help this is going to is going to is going to work is going to work. So if it means using medicines and different technology, you you guys are creating and using uh, these kind of ventilators, all that helps. Going to be a good thing. Well, absolutely, and you put your finger on a very, very important issue, which is uh, some of the mistakes that we've made are to say that um, this piece of technology um, doesn't work very well. Uh, it only works 50, 60, 70% of the time. But if every piece of technology that you look at works 50, 60, 70% of the time, when you add them all together... They, they synergize with each other. Yeah. They help. And to not take something up because it's not perfect is not sensible in a situation like this. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned masks. And I guess a mask is the most obvious piece of equipment that we should be using Absolutely. daily. Absolutely. If masks don't work 100%, but they work 50%, that's surely worth doing. If they work 10%. Yeah, it's not big sacrifice to put a piece of cloth around your face, but if you save ten percent of lives, that's six thousand people at the yeah. moment. And I think we should be looking at that, and uh, we should be saying every technology that's available that we can use, we should be using them, and, and not and using them rather than using later. Use it now, and later on when it's all over, ask questions then of how did it work, and if it faces another yeah. pandemic or a wave two. What did we use that we shouldn't use and what can we use better? There's, uh, as our scientists now in England keep saying, this has been a steep learning curve for us. But one of the problems is that we haven't listened to other people. We've done all our own learning in-house. Yeah. And um, that's not the best way to learn. And the best way 
is to learn from people who know what they're doing. And also, look at that. This is a this is a personal opinion, and it won't be popular with a lot of people. But um, countries like New Zealand, who were extremely sensible, countries like Greece, yeah. um, who everybody sneers at for being one of the most underdeveloped countries in Europe, it's just absurd. They've got a tiny mortality rate, and also New Zealand because they slammed the country shut right at the beginning um and that worked we we wasted weeks allowing people to travel into the country from uh, parts of italy uh, and not examining anybody that flew in people just went straight through our airports and what's scary for me when I look at some of the greece and greece has had a huge problem of uh, of uh, refugees on their shores and yet they might have a low uh, mortality rate that kind of yeah. shocks me exactly how that was done. Exactly. Um, it was predicted that those camps would be um, filled with dead and dying people, yeah. and they weren't. So, but we won't, we won't learn from that, probably. No, but we, Very should, sad. we should learn from that. And in Ireland, we have the same scenario, where for years, flights were coming in, and then finally last week, they introduced this thing, we have to fill a form and go into 14-day quarantine and that form basically has uh, to state where you live. But the problem is, do you check up with that and make sure you're staying where you are staying and are you undergoing quarantine or not? Well, the, the funny thing is that um, they're quarantining people coming from countries with a much better record of uh, coronavirus than we have. Yeah. Apart from Belgium, which I don't fully understand, we have got the worst death rate from coronavirus in the world. Yeah. Ahead of population, which is a pretty shaming statistic. It is. And when I see what's going on, I look at Ireland. We had a kind of lockdown, but when we were doing lockdown, we had a scenario where Northern Ireland was following at the time what the British government were doing, had to follow their guidelines. So we were thinking, how do we, how do we make sure that it doesn't cross over and affect what we're doing? And they... Yeah. In Northern Ireland, they were complaining that when we were doing lockdown in schools, etc., why didn't we tell them that we were doing this? And we were going, well, shit, we were a different country. We shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be telling you what, we should be, what we're doing. So we're doing this because we have to, we have to do what, what's right for our people and our, yeah. save lives. And then finally, Northern Ireland had the balls to go and say, okay, we're going to lock down schools as well. But they probably did it a few weeks too late. They've uh, they've come out of it uh, a lot better than uh, in the UK than uh, England, I think. Yeah, and then you look in at fact, then look at Scotland, five thousand deaths in Scotland, which is kind of shocking. Uh, well, you know, the, um, it's it's too late now to um, relive all the all the decisions that have been made. But let's just pray that people learn from this experience and yeah. that we have a proper thorough tough investigation yeah. into what went wrong and also I guess you've got to make sure that in the future that the logistics of getting medicine to people is going to be is going to be a lot easier than it has been now we now know what to do and not to do well um, one, of, one of the problems is going to be when uh, a good vaccine is developed who's going to end up getting that vaccine yeah. 
a real problem uh, is that, you know, countries like the UK and America will be very reluctant to uh, deny their own people from having that vaccine in order to make sure it's equitably distributed around the world. But that's really what's crucial <clears throat> because the vaccine won't suddenly become available in the quantities that are required. Yeah. It will gradually ramp up. <coughs> and the ramp up will take a long time. Because I've seen in America, Trump has been... I've seen in America, Trump has been saying that companies in Ireland, who are American companies that are producing the vaccine, he wants them to shut production down in, in Ireland and bring it back to America so the Americans get their product yeah. first, which in my view is wrong. And maybe they produce it in Ireland because they have enough capacity to produce it in, in America. Well, it's in our self-interest to make sure it's distributed worldwide yeah. because the poor countries are where the next dose of coronavirus is going to come from when we believe we're out of the woods, yeah. where we stop our lockdown, free up everybody in the country with 97% vulnerable people still there. Yeah. The next dose is going to come from somewhere else and also I guess your stable your stable vax technology is because it removed need for rec, for refrigeration techniques to uh, store it it's going to be able to be used worldwide pretty seamlessly exactly yeah the good thing about our technology is that it's cheap really cheap so it, it can be delivered um, even to the most um, underdeveloped countries. Um, it's cheaper than uh, many other vaccines yeah. in terms of storage, particularly not having to have the fridges and freezers saves a lot of money. Especially when you're in a country where you haven't got much power. No. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about developing solar energy freezers and fridges for those countries. But they are even more expensive than the present fridges and yeah. freezers that we have. So there is no simple way of dealing with this problem except to make the vaccines themselves stable. And also, I guess, in, in the long term, it wouldn't be more eco-friendly. In fact, you're not using any refrigeration techniques to store it or build fridges or transport them to where you're going to. It means exactly. you know, it's, it's better for the environment. Yeah. Uh, very much better for the environment. Uh, um, and the other thing, it can be extended from vaccines into drugs as well. So, you know, there are quite a few drugs that are, have to be stored in a fridge and they can all be stabilised in this way. So um, it has a lot of utility. It, yeah. it's, it's a powerful piece of technology that can be used in many different ways. Because I remember last year reading about, and because of Brexit, certain uh, uh, medicine used for, used for cancer had to be imported from France. And because it had a shelf life, and that, that was there, and once the shelf life was gone, it couldn't be used. But by using your technology, maybe it can last longer, you can stockpile it more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've done, um, uh, in previous companies that I worked in, we, we've done about... Um, I think it's about 50 different products, many of them pharmaceutical products, um, 
and also vaccines. So we, we're almost certain that we can do pretty well every unstable medical product that there is. Yeah. Except possibly red blood cells. Yeah. We, uh, we have a lot of trouble getting our stabilization technology inside the red blood cell. And you have to preserve not just the outside, but the inside as well. Yeah, but I guess you can win everything. And it's, what you're doing is, is a great start. And in time, that will be overcome. I imagine so, yeah. Yeah. People are working on it, yeah. And have you had much interest in your Stablevax from other companies and uh, researchers? We have. Um, but um, most people feel that it's early days yet. Um, we're hopefully going to do our first trials in humans um, next year, yeah. early next year. So most people who are interested in our technology want us to demonstrate that it's at a point of development where they can introduce it immediately yeah. into their products. So we've got to do that ourselves um, before people will get very excited about it. But we plan to do that. We, we have a funding stream which is which we hope will get us there. And I guess, Dr. Wasser, with this technology, because you're doing testing itself, hopefully by early next year, it's proven it works. And we know there could be a second or third wave of coronavirus and other illnesses. You, you're, you're say we're prepared for this to help you guys. Uh, our company stands ready to help anybody. Yeah. Um, we'll work with anybody. Um, we don't plan to keep this technology to ourselves. We plan always to use it by working with partners. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's our aim. Our aim is to see it used yeah. worldwide. There are a lot of people who need it, and we're, most of those people are poor who need it desperately. Yeah. Other people need it, but they're the ones who need it desperately. So, um, yeah, we're happy to work with anybody. It reminds me, in the 50s, when Volvo invented the three-lap three, uh, safety belts for cars, and when they did that, they said, we're going to give this free to everybody in the world to use. We're not going to charge royalty fee because we, we feel everyone should use that. And right now, millions of lives have been saved because of this technology. Same what you're doing. You're going to have millions of lives saved because your technology will be used worldwide. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, the, the, as a business, it seems to us that there are two ways to make a lot of money for your investors. One is to sell something very expensive to high-value individuals who can afford it. Yeah. The other is to pile them high and sell them cheap. And our technology is a cheap technology to implement. There are billions of people around the world who need it. Um, so working with the right people, we should be able to put it into billions of products. Yeah, it's worth investing in. Yeah, and I guess right now you're doing the groundwork rather than waiting until the vaccines and drugs are actually approved. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And um, we'll, be, we'll be ready to feed it into all the new vaccines and drugs that have been developed for coronavirus. I guess in a way it's a bit like a, a Lego brick. Lego, one size fits all. You can, you can modify it to fit anything. 
um, it, it often needs a small amount of modification for different products, but we know how to do that. Yeah, that's good because I know that uh, in the past, when you develop something like technology like this, it takes it takes a long time for it to get certified by certain uh, administrations around the world for like FDA to do this. The fact that they're now taking a more active approach and getting these certified sooner rather than later, it helps. The thing that helps us a lot is that all the products that we're using in making our stabilized products are already approved yeah. in one way or another. So the combination of them should be quite easily easy to, to, to get approved in a short time. At the moment, uh, if you have a new drug that's not been used before, it can take years to get it approved and it can cost hundreds of millions. Yeah. Whereas, um, because we need to demonstrate that our new product works just as well as the old product, then we can do that quite quickly and quite cheaply. Reminds me of when Apple last year introduced their new watch with a built-in ECG on it. And when that was introduced, uh, right away the FDA in America said, yes, we're going to allow you to have that on there. And then... A short while later in Europe, they proved it as well, whereas years ago, that wouldn't be the case. No. Uh, it, it, is, it is getting easier, but only um, if when you start, you're prepared. Yeah. And in the past, most people were not completely prepared, and it took a long time to get through the FDA. Yeah. So you have to have very good data uh, of your own. And be able to demonstrate that there's a very good safety record on the things that you're using. Yeah. But our, um, our, the vessel in which we keep the vaccine is a simple syringe. Yeah. The syringe would have to be used to inject the vaccine anyway. Yeah. We just put the vaccine in that syringe in a very stable format. So we eliminate a lot of equipment that's now required, like a box of syringes and a box of needles and a box of liquid and a thermometer and a refrigerator, we can eliminate all that. And we just have two elements, our dry syringe and some water. Yeah, and because a syringe can't be reused, less chance of you passing on other illnesses as well. Yeah, no chance. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Auto disable, yeah. Yeah, because I've seen people who've got their certain like age or something else, hepatitis, and they've got it because they were sharing needles. Now that yes. this has been shared, you can guarantee, well, once it's used, it's, it can't be reused again. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's an important part of what we do, but it's nothing, it's not our technology. So we can't boast about that one. No, no, I know you can't, but it, but it, it does help that you can say, basically, we've made sure that once it's used once, it can't be reused. It's like, basically, when you get something that has a seal, once you've broken the seal, it can't be reused. Yeah. Well, once the, these syringes have been used to inject something and you try to pull the plunger back, it just breaks off. Yeah. And uh, the syringe is left with the end of the plunger jammed down in the bottom of it and there's no way you can make it work again. Well, that, that's good. That's great to hear because, I mean, right now, people are going to be reassured that technology that's out you're, you're, you're developing and developed is going to be easy to use and less chance of, of mistakes occurring. Well, the other safety issue that we've addressed is that um, 
at the moment, people have to um, t remove the vaccine from a big bottle, uh, often a bottle that has 10 doses in it. Yeah. So they have to be very accurate in measuring the amount that they withdraw in their needle. They don't have to worry with our technology because we've already done that in the factory. We've made the doses absolutely precise in each syringe so you can be sure that you've got the right dose, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that because our product is dry, bacteria can't grow in it. Yeah. So it automatically keeps itself clean, um, which is important because many liquid drugs and vaccines that are improperly used can become infected. So that can't happen. Uh, and uh, because um, we can produce these things in very large quantities and they don't require refrigeration, they don't go off. So you know when you use one of our StableVax products, you know that it's going to work. It's like if you look at an ice cream van, if the power goes, ice cream melts. But with this, it yeah. won't melt. It'll always be there. No, always be there, yeah. And uh, I guess basically, how many of these things products can you produce a month, or would it be able to produce uh, uh, quickly and easily? The um, it depends on the scale, but yeah. the, the the equipment that we require is um, modest. Um, it's fairly small. In fact, you could probably pack uh, a pilot plant into um, a refrigerated um, truck. Yeah. Now, the pilot plant that we're producing, we've calculated that it can produce a million doses a week, providing it runs 24 hours a day. But that's a very small plant. Yeah. In proper vaccine factories, they'd be making 10 to 100 million a week. So, uh, and the production process is inherently inexpensive. So I don't think there'll be any problem yeah. scaling it up. Yeah, when you said a small plant can do a million a week, I guess that could be something like an island like Malta, for example, or Cyprus, where you could have a small plant there doing it, which would build enough for that, for that population. Exactly. Um, even fairly large countries, actually. Um, I mean, in 10 weeks, you can produce 10 million doses. Yeah. That offers enough for many countries. Um, but, of course, you can scale it up, and you can scale it up in parallel. You can just have multiple small plants yeah. like that. The other thing, of course, is you mustn't forget, we can stockpile yeah. these products so they're stable. So a plant can be producing products, and they can be being stockpiled until they're used. Yeah. So, you know, you can run the plant for a month or two, and when the products are all gathered together to be used, they're all equally potent. They haven't lost any activity in the fridge. Yeah. So stockpiling is an important issue and I guess, in terms of manufacture. And I guess you can also decide to have factory open, only working certain times of the year. So you build enough to stockpile for the, for the year and then it's yeah. closed down and only, only used when, we, when you need more supplies. Or it can be making other vaccines. Yeah. Um, all of these plants, uh, multi-use plants, our technology will work with, we think, pretty well all the vaccines that are around except for a couple. Yeah. So 
We've got a list of nearly 90 vaccines that it'll work with. Um, and all of those, eventually, all of those vaccines eventually are going to be need to be stabilised because at the moment they all have to be kept in the fridge. Yeah. And again, if you want to find out more about your technology, where, where do we go and find it online? Um, at the moment, we haven't uh, written any papers on StableVax technology. There are papers uh, and patents yeah. about stabilization technology that I developed many, many years ago. Um, they're all easily accessible. You just have to put my name yeah. into a search engine and that'll uh, come up with a list of them. Um, I've got about 50 patents and uh, 100-odd uh, papers. Um, most of the papers are on other things, yeah. but at least some of them are on um, this technology. Our patent um, for the StableVax is also in the public domain. You yeah. can download that from the internet if you're interested. It's quite easy to read. Yeah. I'm just thinking of people who want to actually partner with you guys. How would they go about doing that? Um, again, we have a, a, a website, yeah. StableVax.com, um, and that's the easiest way. Yeah. And uh, hopefully from this podcast and other, other interviews you've done or things you're doing, you'll, you'll get more out of this because I think what you've got is, is a great new product that's going to save a lot of lives. Well, um, we've got a great new idea at the moment. What we need to do now is to turn it into a great new product. Yeah. And once we can do that, we're in the position to save a lot of lives. Yeah. I did a podcast three years ago with two, with two Indian guys who were living in Ireland and they developed a product where you can store data on DNA. Yeah. Which was so unique. And their, their view was in the long term, what I mean is that instead of storing, I, I liked it years ago when you got my pod, you got so many songs in your pocket. And if you wanted to store, for example, all songs of Bob Dylan, you could do it in iPod. And their view was yes, but with our, our technology, you can store all artists in that genre on this, on this device. And their yes. aim is the long term, if there's basically something like a nuclear war, They've made sure that the DNA cannot be disrupted or changed or modified. So yeah. what what they did is it blew me away, and it was so unique technology, it blew me away. And their view is that everyone in the world will want to have their own private cloud storage in their in their business or houses using their technology. At the moment, it was very slow to write and read to, but that will change over year over the, over time. And what you're doing is the exact same to me. It's blown my mind away that you got something that's so unique that can change lives as well. Yeah, um, there is a problem with DNA, uh, which, as you say, it, it, it's the time it takes to um, read DNA. Yeah. Um, it, it's very different from uh, solid-state memory, yeah. um, which you can read instantaneously. DNA, you have to start at one end and work your way along a molecule that's miles long. Yeah. So um, uh, if you've got a long message on DNA... You're talking about it. It's not fast uh, storage, but it is very uh, thorough yeah. and very compact storage. You can store an immense amount of data in a very small volume. Yeah, and I think within within a certain amount of time, they'll, they'll find a way to make it uh, readable a lot faster, but that takes time. But the fact that they've got this technology been developed, same with you guys are doing, and it took you so long to get where you are now, same with these guys. And one day we'll look at both technology and think, these are going to save lives and help the world, change the world. Yeah. 
Hopefully. Yeah, and I think what you, yeah. yeah, I think what you're doing is basically it's good. It's going to be one day we talked about like penicillin and about polio vaccine. Um, my uh, personal anxiety is I hope I'm around long enough to see it. I think you will be because if you use your technology, you'll be able to live a longer life because you can, you can use it to store the medication you need. <laughs> Quite so. And on that note, anything else you want to add to the podcast or you think you've said enough because it's been great. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Yeah. I I always enjoy talking about this. Yeah, I tend to drone on. That's the trouble. That's fine. That's, I like that because I want to hear more of your side than my side. <laughs> and it's good to hear. Okay, so, well, thank you very much for the um, chance to talk. No problem. No problem, Doctor Russell. And, and have a great day. And thanks so much for that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take Cheers. care. Bye. Bye.